Calsa Cooper, aka the Social Broker, and welcome to another episode of Reverse Ambition, a podcast that features people that put it all on the line to follow their dreams and passion. I have my good friend, Miss Renee Blewett, founder of Inner Shoes Blog, as well as she's a creator and executive producer of She Did That. I'm going to let her explain what that is. <laughs> Renee? Welcome. Hey, Kelsey. Welcome, Miss Renee Blewett. What up, girl? Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited about this. Man, listen, I am super excited to have you. Um, thank you so much for agreeing to come on uh, Reverse Ambition. Um, this is the beginning of an amazing podcast that features dynamic people who really follow their passion and dreams. And, I, and you were one of the first person I thought of, of having on here. So... Really, Aww. really appreciate you, girl. Thank you. What an honor. So let's get this started. So, you know, my first question usually is walk me through your journey in terms of where you went to school, uh, what you majored in, um, and so forth. And, you know, we go from there. Okay. Well, I am a Midwestern girl. Um Born and raised in the Midwest between Indiana and Illinois. Okay. I went to Illinois State University. I majored in speech communication. Um, when I graduated, I really was not clear on what I wanted to do. Um, I really think it's just unrealistic to expect people at that age to know what they want to do for a career. Right. Some people do, but I didn't. Um, I thought that I wanted to get into advertising. Okay. Uh, but my parents gave me a quick reality check when they said that they would not be financing any more, um, <laughs> any more schooling. So I moved to Chicago and I did get in the advertising industry. I worked for the Chicago Advertising Federation, um, which is a nonprofit there in the city that supports the ad industry there, planned events, wrote for their newsletter, you know, just did a lot of um kind of administrative stuff, but learned a lot about the ins and outs of event planning and writing and communications work. Um, and at that point, my boss came to me and was like, have you ever thought about doing PR? Oh. And I knew what PR was, but it really wasn't something that I looked at for myself as a career choice. But she brought to my attention, like, everything that you are great at is what makes up a PR career, the writing, the event planning, you know, the strategy. So she put that seed in my mind, um, bless her heart. And that really was like the beginning of me exploring a PR career. Okay. So I ended up landing a job at um, Burrell Communications Group, which at the time was the largest ad agency and PR agency uh, for African-American like market at the time. So that was like a big deal. Like that ad agency kind of was like boomerang in real life. Wow. You know? Wow. And I'm sure that people listening, especially with the reboot of boomerang on BET, like boomerang was that film that if you had any inkling or desire to work in advertising, like that film kind of solidified it. Right. So to get up and go to work every day with all of these beautiful black people, you know, the company was owned by a black man, Tom Burrell, who was real, well-respected in the industry. 
um, and to work on programs that were for us and by us. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had to, I just took so much pride in my work. Like it wow. was black excellence per- personified. And mm-hmm. at that time, that's when I realized that I wanted my career to be dedicated to, um, you know, servicing the black community. Okay. So I worked there for some years. How um, long? How long were you there? I, I did a couple of stints there. I worked there for almost two years in the beginning. And then I thought that I needed to get some general market experience just so that I wouldn't be, I guess, pigeonholed if I wanted to step out and do something else. Right. So I worked at a general market agency, didn't even last there a year because I realized that, you know, my heart was really, again, in doing work for African-American consumers. Okay. So after um, going to the general market agency, went back home to Burrell, worked there for another couple of years. And then that's when I kind of got the New York City bug. I was traveling a lot to New York. And that's when I kind of got introduced to Brooklyn and just really fell in love with this borough. And I was like, okay, you know what? Chicago is great. You know, I love my job, but I really want to explore New York City and see what this city has to offer, you know, a young black woman doing PR. So so you moved you know to this part of the story right because this is when we met right 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 this is where so, i came in the picture <laughs> yes this is where kelsey cooper infiltrated my life um so i moved here in 2001 uh right after uh 9-11 i know right a i my, a lot of my yeah a lot of my friends and family were just like wait you still want to move to new york and i was like absolutely like i'm not gonna let you know this situation although it was huge stop me from making you know this big decision in my life because in my mind you know things can happen anywhere in this country so i didn't want to i didn't want new york to be that dream that i never fulfilled right right so moved here in 2001. I was working for Lifetime Television as a uh, senior publicist. Um, stayed there a little bit over a year. I got some really great television experience. Did some more uh, work, you know, like freelance work. I worked with Crunch Fitness, doing PR for them, and just really kind of like explored the PR industry in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got a job with a really, um, big global agency here called Bowman and I worked on the multicultural team, loved that work, but I started to get the entrepreneurial bug, which what, what in inspired, City, what inspired an entrepreneurial bug? I mean, I mean, well, it's a couple things. First of all, when you live in Brooklyn, you know, so many people are artists and like self-made. So to be in Brooklyn at that time, um, I was literally surrounded by more entrepreneurs and artists than I had ever been in my entire life. Right. I remember so, we were hanging tight around then. I mean, I remember us hanging out during the week, going to parties, yes. supporting, you know, supporting <laughs> our friends, just kicking yeah. it like, you know, like, you know, young, young, fresh and green, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. without a care in the world. And plus, it was right after 9-11. So I don't think anybody was going to the city. So everything was happening in Brooklyn for the most part. In I, Brooklyn. You know, 
And that was dope. I mean, I had the same reaction when I was telling my friends I was moving to New York after 9-11. And they asked me the same question. Why, dude? Like, everyone is leaving New right. York. <laughs> You're right. Go- like, why would you do that yourself? <laughs> right. So you got the you know entrepreneurial bug by just being in Brooklyn, being around a lot of creatives and everyone doing your own thing. And mm-hmm. so... So you was working at, what's that job? What's that place they say you work? Uh... Edelman, um, Edelman Worldwide. Oh, The but... entrepreneurial bug also, sorry to cut you off. The yeah. entrepreneurial bug for me was also hereditary, so to speak, because mm. my dad is an entrepreneur, entrepreneur and my grandfather was an entrepreneur. And I grew up, you know, seeing how these men were, providing for their families and providing for themselves um, and creating opportunities for themselves. So I saw it as a viable career option very early on. Like when I was, you know, literally a little girl, my grandfather had a business in Indiana. And then, you know, even now to this day, my dad is an entrepreneur. So it was a combination of New York City and then also you know, seeing what was possible through my dad and my grandfather. Right. So when you told them that you were quitting your job to be an entrepreneur, did they support you all the way? Absolutely. My dad, like if there was a ledge to be, you know, to jump from or to be pushed off of, (laughs) my dad was the one who was like literally behind me. Like, you can do it. Wow. I know you. You're not going to be happy until you're working for yourself. Um, because when I was working in the last PR agency that I was with, I was doing a lot of PR for um, pharmaceutical brands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you know anything about how that world works, you know, it's it's depressing because mm-hmm. I'm literally writing press releases every day about illnesses that index high in the black community and then pushing these drugs, you know, prescription drugs um, into my community that, you know, a lot of people may not be able to afford that may even be necessary. I mean, I have my own thoughts about the pharmaceutical industry, but working on a lot of those um, accounts is literally what helped me <laughs> to decide make that decision. It time. Yeah, it was time for me to have a little more control over the types of accounts I was working with and types of brands that I was servicing. Right. Um, So, yeah, my family was really supportive. My dad was really supportive. You know, my mother is a Trinidadian woman. West Indian woman. Yeah, Caribbean mamas aren't having it. You know, she believes in me and believed in me then, but would much rather, you know, see me in a quote-unquote good job. Oh, oh, yeah? Every two weeks. Yeah. So your father was supporting you, and your mother was like, why are you quitting your job for... I, I try to do that accent. To this day, I, she really doesn't even understand what I do. Like, oh, wow. She, but, like, she but, gets it, but, like, she doesn't get it. But you know what? I mean, I'm every time I, one of your events, she's always there holding you down, you know? She is always there. So in that's the dope. Row. So it's good to have, like, mm-hmm. you know, your family supporting you. Because a lot of families, I mean, when I told my moms I was quitting my job to follow my passion, they were like, why? You know, you have making good money <laughs> you got good health care you you quitting that for what <laughs> right you know even right. today when she called me she was like okay 
you know, making any money today? <laughs> you know, my mom's, mm-hmm. my parents are Jamaican, so I'm Jamaican. So, you know, with yeah. that accent, it's like, oh, okay. Any, any checks today? It's all about money, you know? Exactly. You exactly. Know? That's what it's about. So it was interesting to have those two different perspectives um, from my parents. I'm glad it wasn't both of them that were, you know, uh, worried about their daughter being an entrepreneur. But I think I would have done it anyway because, you know, it's your life and and you have to get up every day and face the world and, you know, do the work. And if you're not enjoying it, then it's just like, what's the purpose? Exactly. more of our time working than anything else in this life. Right. So by all means, you should enjoy what you're doing. Okay. So you decided to take that leap. Did you like game plan? Did you have a plan together? Did you have any clients else, you know, waiting for you? Or how did you eventually take that leap of faith and like, I'm ready to do this? So I did it very strategically. When I was working at the PR agency, I was moonlighting too. And I had um, uh, one client that I was working with, you know, in the evenings. I would work from, you know, at the agency from 9 to 5 or 7 or 8 or whatever that job required that day. Then I would come back to Brooklyn and, you know, eat and then start working on, you know, projects for my, my own clients. Right. So I had one client, then I got another client, and then, you know, there were opportunities to work with other brands. And after a while, I just looked up at, you know, the workload, and I realized, you know, sat down and crunched some numbers. And I was like, girl, this is a good time to take the leap. Like, okay. there's no better time than now because your supplemental income or your side hustle income is in a place where you can support yourself. Okay. And luckily I was able to um, leave that job with, you know, clientele built in as opposed to, you know, leaving and starting from nothing. I mean, and so that's the thing. I, I'm, I'm very pro entrepreneurship if it is what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Like I think we, not even I think, we live in a time where entrepreneurship is, you know, glamorized and you look at Instagram and all you see is people winning, winning, winning. And there's this very false perception of, um, there's this thought that it's easy. It's not, it's not easy. The hardest, it's the hardest thing I've done. The hardest thing you'll ever do. Right. Like to literally get up every day and know that you have to, you're only going to eat what you kill. Right. That's a lot of pressure mentally, you know, physically, you know, there's a psychological um, cost to entrepreneurship that a lot of people don't even think about. And in this day of social media, where you're only seeing people's highlight reels, there's this false perception of, you know, glam and ease that comes with this life that is, couldn't be further from the truth. So um, I forgot where I was going with that point. I mean, basically, you know, you were talking about in terms of, you know, how much energy and it takes for you to go, you know, to be an entrepreneur. And I asked you, you know, how did you do it? Did you strategically plan uh, to do it? And you you were walking me through the strategy in terms of how you were ready to take that leap. Yeah. So I remember where I was going with that. The point that I was making... Um, 
I planned out my exit, you know, mm. from corporate America. And I think that in this day of social media and the glam- the glamorous look of entrepreneurship, a lot of people think you just wake up one day and you're like, F it, and you tell your boss, I'm out of here. And, you know, you slam the door and you never look back. Right. It's not that easy. And you really need to plan that out. Like, mm-hmm. you really need to plan it out, you know. It would be nice if you had a few months of your living expenses saved up. For some people, that's not realistic. Right. But I do tell people that as much as I'm pro-entrepreneurship, I also want us to be smart. And I also want us to make sound decisions financially when we decide to get into it because it literally is like it has all of these ebbs and flows and, you know, mountains and peaks and valleys and you really can't mentally prepare for it but if you can financially prepare for it it will make your road a lot easier right so you were very strategic you you know you had a few clients you know um starting out so how did you feel when you finally took that leap and you said it was the hardest thing you ever you know done you ever did how you know was it a lot more work um, how did it affect your social life? You know, how much, how, you know, how did it affect your life in general in terms of now that you're free doing your own thing and, you know, now you got to like eat what you kill and so forth? Well, it, I mean, you know how they say you work harder as an entrepreneur than you would for anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned that very early on because it's like a baby almost like right. you're raising this child, so to speak. And, You want to pour as much time and love and energy into it so that it can be healthy, so that it could be, you know, all of these wonderful things. So I I immediately dove into it. Um, I mean, I had workaholic tendencies before, but they (laughs) were amplified when I started, you know, doing my own thing. And then shortly after, like literally not even a full year after launching my PR consultancy, I launched a blog, which was kind of like adding another job to my plate because, you know, you're creating content, you're interviewing people and you're, you know, attending events and things like that to get more content. So, mm. so yeah, let's I talk about that a little bit. Became, let's, let's talk yeah, about the blog thing. Uh, what inspired you? I mean, this is in your inner shoes, correct? Mm-hmm. Inner shoes blog. So what inspired mm-hmm. you to, first of all, you're already a full-time entrepreneur. Now you're going to start a blog from scratch, from scratch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, ins- what motivated you to like, okay, this is something else I want to do. I'm clearly you're a passionate person. You, you follow your passion a lot. But what inspired that passion to start your blog? Well, I started the blog because at the time, and I'm stressing at the time now because, you know, things have changed in terms of the blogosphere and the type of content we're seeing. But when I launched that site in 2009, there weren't really many places for everyday women to be celebrated. You know, mm-hmm. that was at that the time. That is true. We kind of, that is true. You yeah, were... we were at the we were at the height of like celebrity culture. You know, everyday women weren't getting these uh, opportunities to be interviewed with, you know, the bigger media outlets, like maybe at essence.com. It was really just about celebrity. Right. And because of the um, amazing women that were meeting in New York city, 
you know, like even our girl, um, you know, with Pieces, like right. Pieces Boutique and Letitia Daring, like she was one of my first examples of entrepreneurship and black women here in Brooklyn. And I just love what she was doing. And she was one of the first, one of the first people that I interviewed, actually. Um, I just wanted to create a, a place online for us to tell our stories and to share, you know, the challenges, the obstacles we were facing, uh, the wins, the mistakes we were making, the lessons that we were learning, and just how we were building these brands. Right. Leticia um, was ahead of our time. Leticia was ahead of our time. You know, we went to junior high school together. Yeah, I love it. And I love that she is like a multi-passionate entrepreneur and now she has her restaurant greedy vegan like she's constantly reinventing herself and i'm totally here for it yeah she's so dope so dope um Mm -hmm. yeah all right so you started this blog and uh how did you like get traction uh for the blog how did you get your followers up you know um how did it go out the gate you know, in terms of when you start something from scratch in her shoes? Well, it was very organic, you know, the same way that you are reaching out to your community of people, you know, who who happen to be doing great work and talking to them for reverse ambition. I did the same thing for In Her Shoes. Like, I literally reached out to women that I know and that, you know, I can vouch for, you know? Okay. And I started interviewing them. And this was before the time of, like, Instagram and, you know, Facebook. Like, I had just got on Facebook the same year that I launched the blog. And then I think Twitter was next. So, you know, we didn't have access to, you know, hundreds and thousands and millions of people at our fingertips back then the way that we do now. Like, if you think about it, those years that we were hanging out, we had each other's undivided attention because right. we were not on Instagram. We I miss those days, Twitter. by the way. I really miss those I days. I miss those days so much. Like, I know I sound like Auntie Renee, but I miss <laughs> those days. Like, as much as, you know, social media is a tool and it's been a huge blessing for my business and, you know, even for my clients' brands, I genuinely miss just reaching people you know and and actually spending real time with people you know right. now i think there's this false sense of connection because we're we're seeing people's pictures all day as we scroll through our phones but we're not really reaching out and touching each other in real life as much and that kind of makes me sad because it is, it is sad it's in the day sad. of social media um people are lonelier now than they've ever been because people are living such isolated lives right 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 i mean i also miss like the beginning stages of like social media like twitter everybody on twitter was so like the people that you connected with on twitter was like people you know or yeah someone in your circle but you may not know directly it was such a great way to organically connect with them and like uh-huh. the energy on on twitter that was around oh nine was like so freaking dope so I missed that mm-hmm. as well. All right. So yeah, everybody wasn't building a brand. You right. Know? And, it, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But like literally now, most people have an agenda and most of their content is supporting that agenda. And we're, you know, it's no longer like Instagram is no longer Insta. Everything is super curated. Everything is a photo shoot. And it's like we don't get to see 
I think the the authentic side right. that we saw before in the right. earlier days of social. Side note: How you think we could bring that back? By the way, and this is side note. I mean, I'm just <laughs> just. I don't know. I think we're too far into this. Something that we're just gonna have to accept, right, and just move forward and continue. You know, it's part of our everyday lives now. It's the way we. Yeah, and I think it's up to us to make a concerted effort to take things offline. You know, mm. like just really connect with people in real life and not let social media be, you know, the beginning and the end of how you connect with your friends throughout the day or throughout the week or throughout the year. You know. Right. So, um, so you got your business going, your PR business, and you got your blog going. How many clients were you managing? Uh, on, on average, do you manage? Um, you know what? I kept it uh, manageable because I've, for the most part, always been a solopreneur. Mm-hmm. It's not like I built out this team of people to help me, um, you know, service a client. So on an average, I would at the height of the PR work I was doing, I probably was only working with like three or four brands at a time. Okay. And I would make sure that there was like, you know, a couple of bread and butter clients and then clients that had, you know, like smaller projects that they wanted me to manage, you know, like smaller retainers. Um, Because even with the PR work that I was doing, I enjoyed it quite a bit. But the blog was also a job, too. And I had to treat that like a client as well. Right, right. So you were you had to balance both because the blog wasn't mm-hmm. paying you out the gate. But no. your clients were did, did. Did Are there times where that was conflicting? Like you neglected your client for your blog and, and so forth? Um, no, if there was anything that was neglected, it was the blog. Because let's be real, the blog was not monetized. Right. <laughs> At that point, Mm -hmm. New York City is not cheap. So, um, you know, I had to be smart about where I was devoting my time and attention. Um, And that was also a time, like, that was, like, at the height of, I mean, blogging is still relevant. But I think we're seeing a change in even how bloggers are sharing content. Because we're sharing so much on social media. So, you know, there was a time when I was posting you know, once a day or even maybe twice a day on In Her Shoes. Um, But I get it because I also wasn't sharing so much on social media, you know. So now that, you know, Instagram, for example, is kind of like a micro blog for a lot of people, you'll notice that a lot of bloggers, if you go to their site, you know, unless it's an online magazine format, Mm -hmm. if it's just a blog, they're not posting there as frequently because they're doing – um, sharing so much content and, and, and having so much engagement on social media. Right, right. All right, cool. So I uh, left your job to start a PR firm. You manage about three or four clients, you said. Um, mm-hmm. Then you have your blog that you're also passionate about, um, focusing on female entrepreneurs, uh, which weren't yes. being focused on at the time. So you basically was a pioneer in that in that in that in that area, right? Yeah, I would say I was an early adapter. Early like, adapter. That's a better word. That's a better word. Yeah, the I mean, Black Girl Magic is a movement, but we're seeing so much of it right now. And mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of platforms and even a lot of brands celebrating black women entrepreneurs. But I could 
genuinely say that I've always been passionate about black women, always been passionate about black women building brands and legacies and creating generational wealth. Um, why black women so, though? Why you know, are you being, why are you discriminating? What about black men? Now, you know, good and well that I had in his shoes too. And every once in a while I would talk about what the fellows were up to. But I think that for me, um, Focusing on black women was it was just a natural it was a natural thing to do right. because I didn't I didn't feel like we were getting enough shine you mm. know like obviously the uh, the landscape is a lot different now but in 2009 like there I, I was feeling a void right. at that point which right. I think is the formula for anyone who's creating something you're feeling a void or you're creating what you think is missing. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about black women. You did a, an amazing film called, yes. called she did that, you know, yes. what me, what inspired you to say, okay, I've done a blog. I do PR. Now I'm going to executive produce. I'm going to create an executive produce a film about female entrepreneurs. What? Well, that was an easy transition, too, because, you know, I've always been a storyteller. So mm. PR is essentially telling a brand story. And I was working with a lot of black women owned brands. So, you know, there's that. And then the blog, I'm storytelling through, you know, interviews and the content that I was creating for black women entrepreneurs. And so in 2015, I did a photography exhibition with my friend Algo Slade. Mm -hmm. We went around New York City and we photographed 25 women in their element, like mm -hmm. where they create their magic and where they just do their thing. Um, and so after that photography exhibition, you know, everybody loved it. And it was a great way to kind of tell these women's stories through photographs. But when I left that event, I'll never forget, like I hadn't even taken my heels off yet. And it was like, so what's next? And I'm right. like, whoo, sis, like I haven't even walked out of the venue. So people <laughs> wanted more. Event. It was so dope that people wanted more. Yes, yes. And her very question of like, what's next was the fuel for me really thinking about like, okay, what is next? Like, mm -hmm. you've been doing panel events, you know, how many panel events can you do? You did this photography exhibition, like, are you going to do that again? Like, what's next? And so I prayed on it, I meditated on it, and God literally planted the seed for me to continue telling these black women's stories, but through film and, right. you know, through a new medium. Right. So I decided that I would create a documentary. Right. So, okay. You have an idea, which is very ambitious, by the way. So walk me through yeah. how the hell you take this idea to actually, you know, what we see now, which is amazing. How did you, well, what did you start? Where did you I'll, start? Yeah, well, let me start with the fact that ignorance is bliss. <laughs> it's very bliss. <laughs> yeah, when I decided to, you know, do a film, I had no clue how much it entailed. You know, shout out to all the filmmakers. Like, it is such an endeavor. Like, it's so expensive, you know. And in terms of, like, the um, technical parts of storytelling and filmmaking, you know, that was 
uncharted territory for me. You know, I knew how I wanted to tell these stories. I knew, you know, the topics that I wanted to touch on because I'd been interviewing black women entrepreneurs for, you know, some time. I knew, you know, the kind of women that I needed to have in the film and the diversity of their backgrounds and ages and everything. Mm -hmm. But I had to bring on a team to help me bring it to life because, you know, this was not my area of expertise. Right. So, you know, had some, a little bit of a rough start in terms of uh, getting the team together. You know, it's, how were you able to thing. put the team together? Um, did you rely well, on relationships? I mean, just relationships. You... Just relationships. You know, once I started telling people that I was, you know, creating this documentary, they would recommend someone, okay. you know, like for, for the different roles. Um, you know, there were a couple people on board who weren't necessarily the, the perfect fit for the project, but they definitely served a purpose while they were there. You know, right. everybody has a season. And, you know, just like the old saying goes, like, who you start with may not be who you finish with. But, you know, the people that were on the team, when they were on the team, they definitely added a lot of value to the project. Right. So, um, built a team, ended up, you know, creating a really solid team of people who, you know, were coming to the table with years of, of excellent and just dope filmmaking experience. And also a passion for sharing these black women's stories. Okay. Key word is passion. Everyone was passionate about the project and yes. you know, that's what propelled things forward. Um, so I'm sure you had a lot of learning experiences, anything, you know, you want to share or in terms of, in terms of getting, getting the film to the finish line? Well, there's so many things. I mean, for one, with filmmaking, particularly, you know, it was a big thing. And, and it's actually, it's interesting because it's one of the topics that we cover in the film, which is the funding gap for Black women-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. We are not getting the money that our white female counterparts are getting. And we are absolutely not getting even a fraction of the money that white men are getting. So. Right. Even with this film, you know, the financing piece of it was a challenge. And as the executive, as the executive producer, it was my job to find to out money, secure the bag. <laughs> right. Yes. And so thank God, for black women and thank God for the relationships that I had from doing PR because I knew how to put together this package and pitch this concept to brand for them to want to align with and invest in it. So um, I was able to get some brands on board. Essence Magazine was the very first brand oh, that's dope. Um, on board to invest in the film. Um, Essence General invested Motors, in the film? Yes, yes. They made an investment in the film. They are the official media partner for the film. Okay. Um, and, and they have a voice in the film. Uh, they share a lot of really powerful stats from their Women in the Workplace um, survey. Mm -hmm. So they kind of give some perspective in terms of numbers. You know, it's one thing to hear these entrepreneurs talk about the, you know, 
obstacles that they're facing, but it's another thing to see stats that support what these women are saying. Mm -hmm. So Essence was uh, really dope and helpful in that way. General Motors is the official automotive partner for the film, so they were an investor in the film. Um, Raffaella, which is a fashion brand, is an investor in the film. Um, But, you know, the big learning for me as a new filmmaker is that if you think you're is one amount you might want to go ahead and double that because <laughs> there are always going to be new expenses and unexpected expenses and you know you might have to go and over and that's you know a cost in itself so there are a lot of uh lessons learned in terms of budgeting for the film in terms of timing but i think the biggest lesson that i learned on this journey house was the fact that things seem to be pulling apart really together. Okay, and say that again. You kind of blocked out a little bit. Are you moving around? Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not. Okay. Um, I said the biggest lesson that I got was that when things are falling apart, they're really coming together. Mm. I'm glad I had actually repeat that. That would have been a missed Yes. Message. Like that was a lesson that I kept getting repeatedly throughout this entire project because you know as the creator of the film you visualize how you want the story to be told um you kind of see the vision for it but once the camera's rolling it's going to end up being something else or right. depending on someone's availability they may secure a date with you to film but then at the last minute they're not available and so you have to pivot and do else that may end up being better than what you thought you were doing mm, you know what i mean right 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 so right. that was a life lesson for me you know as someone whose entire career has been built on you know planning and strategy for brands you had a little more control over how it unfolded but with filmmaking you may have the whole recipe but you don't know how it's gonna look and, and, and taste in the end you know what i mean like once you put all the pieces together you put everything in that pot you don't know what you're going to end up with right and you just have to say that it's something amazing right so um that was one of the biggest lessons that i've learned and, and continue to learn even now that we are you know it's finished um i continue to get the lesson and so i i always say to people that like this making for me has been the thing in my like the hardest thing I've ever done in my career mm-hmm. and definitely the most challenging and like but it has stretched me more as a person and as a professional than anything else I've ever done okay that's dope all right I mean listen you look you just dropped some amazing gems so I mean <laughs> thank you for sharing that you know keeps me from asking the questions you already like you know, offering the information. So <laughs> now that you uh, a PR professional, uh, amazing blogger, uh, you a brand now. You got this amazing film, Inner Shoes film. I mean, excuse me, sorry. <laughs> she did that film. I'm getting her blog mm-hmm. and her film mixed up. She's doing so much. My bad. Um, what's next for Miss Renee Blewett um, as an entrepreneur, as a female entrepreneur? Well, you know what? I get this question a lot, and I remind myself, and I remind the people who ask me that, like, especially with this film, like, so much 
like the film was conceptualized in 2015. We started uh, filming in 2016 and the film wasn't released until summer 2018. So that, I mean, we're talking about like over two years of my life, almost three dedicated to this project. Mm-hmm. I am, and you still, you're still very much invested in this project, by the way. Oh like, my gosh. Like it's my baby. Like it's my job. I have literally, you know, um, retired. And I guess I'll use that, that term retired from PR for now. Oh, wow. So you, so you're focused on this film full time. Oh yeah. Full time. I'm not, you know, working with any PR clients every once in a while I may take on a project, but it's like a hit it and quit it project. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like a six month retain or anything. Um, and it's something that ties directly back to black women entrepreneurs. Like it has to, go back to, you know, the overall, I guess, goal of the work that I'm doing. Right. So because I've invested so much in the film, you know, financially, you know, emotionally, time-wise, and and all of those things, I want to make sure that this project gets as much exposure as it can and is, like, fully actualized Mm -hmm. before I move on to what's next. Okay. And I think that we we live in a time where we don't give ourselves permission to fully immerse ourselves into one thing. You know, we 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 do something and then because we do have this pressure and people asking us what's next, we feel like we have to hurry up and jump to what's next when we may not have fully um invested in and allowed what we're working on now to blossom. So right. My focus now is getting distribution for this film so that it can be seen, you know, by audiences globally. Oh, wow. And then, yeah, and then after it's distributed, you know, of course, there's more work there. You know, it's going to be more promotional work. Um, Leading up to that, you know, we've been doing screenings across the country. We just did the Pan-African Film Festival in L.A. We have a Women in Media Film Festival coming up here in New York later this Women's History Month. We've submitted to some other big festivals. We did Urban World and screened the film in Times Square last summer. So there are so many places that this film could go. You know, the topic is is very timely right now because Black women entrepreneurs are making history in this country. Y'all are killing it. Y'all are killing it. I I, won't take my hat. We are. And there's so many arms and legs like this film could be you know curriculum in schools um i want to do an hbcu tour i want to go to your alma mater um your alma mater you you know yes um young girls need to see this young men need to see this so this is my this is my purpose work right now Mm -hmm. and will continue to be until i feel like i've given it my all wow Um, yeah. And beyond the film, you know, I could totally see this being a docuseries. You know, there's so many more stories to be told of black women entrepreneurs and I want to be the voice for us. That's what's up, girl. And, you know, for the most part, you just one man machine going right now, trying to push this, push your passion forward. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, doing all these passionate things, um, ambitious things. How does 
you know, what's up with your personal life? You know, you don't have to tell me about, you know, any date or anything, but <laughs> is there a personal life with friends, you know, boyfriend oh or whatever? God, I mean, yes. the reason why I'm asking that because we're so consumed in following our passion, something have to take the back burner and more than likely, right. it's more than likely it's our personal life, you know, and I want our listeners to, to hear how, you know, one would manage that, all that. Yeah, well, I will say that my work has become like a lifestyle for me. Mm. So even though it is work, a lot of the events I'm doing, like the screening events and things like that, like it also has a play aspect because, you know, my friends come out to these events and women that, you know, I know in the community are out at these events and in the industry. So there is definitely an overlap with work and, you know, my personal life, but mm-hmm. I do when I'm not traveling and when I'm not, you know, catching up on rest, you know, in between, I do make time for friends. Like tomorrow night I'm going to dinner with a couple of girlfriends. Uh, one of my friends just got engaged and I wasn't there for the proposal. So we're going to do like a do over and connect for dinner and things like that. And, um, I think I do a decent job of having a personal life. Um, I could probably do better, but you know, when it's all said and done, I want to, I don't know if balance is, is realistic, but I want to have as much harmony in my life as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, where there's a really nice mix of, you know, me doing what I love professionally, but also spending lo- spending time with the people that I love too. Right, right. Okay. Um, any advice do you want to give to any aspiring entrepreneurial entrepreneurs? You know, anything. That- um, you know what? The only piece of advice that I would give is, and I'm, and I'm. This would be for the person who's um, considering entrepreneurship. It may sound cliche, but it's literally my first and only tattoo, which is do what you love. Mm -hmm. Find that thing that you are so passionate about that you would do for free. And again, Mm. it sounds cliche and it sounds corny, but guess what? As an entrepreneur, there will be times when you're doing that work for free. Mm-hmm. Whether it's because, you know, you're building something out or because your client paid you on time. Like, right. There will be moments when you're doing for free. And I think that passion for what you're doing is so important as an entrepreneur because you are going to face challenges on this journey that you've never faced before. Um, entrepreneurship is that thing that steps into all of your insecurities, the ones you didn't even think you had. Mm -hmm. And if you don't absolutely love the work, you will crumble. (laughs) And you know, from entrepreneurship, like, listen, girl, I know you have to continue to reinvent yourself and evolve. And and, and Mm -hmm. and you just got to run with things sometimes, even if you don't know where it's going, it's heading. (laughs) Exactly. You know, and you have to believe in it before anyone else does right and more than anyone else does and you know part of believing in it is loving it right i find entrepreneur being an entrepreneur as a even though i know a lot of people it's also a very lonely place for me sometimes very lonely because i'm in my head a lot (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. And I'm the only one in my head with my ideas, and sometimes it's hard for me to get out of that, you know, get out of my head. So it's also a very lonely place as well. So you really have to be passionate about what you're doing because it is, it's a lot of sacrifices that we make to uh, to do what we love and so forth. Yeah, and that loneliness is real, and that's why it's so important to create your tribe you know, build your tribe, create your community of people who support you. You know, you may not see them every day, but you have to have that person. You know, I have friends that I'll be like, girl, I need some water cooler talk. (laughs) Right. We'll call each other. Right. You know, you need someone that you can bounce your ideas off of or vent with, you know, you do spend a lot of time, especially if you're a solopreneur, you spend, you can spend days at a time alone working. Right. And while you enjoy it, you know, that's really not healthy. You know, you have to get out and, and socialize, but you know, if it's winter in New York city and it's like 30 degrees outside and snowing, you know, sometimes it's easy to get caught up in your work for days and days and days, but you have to, you know, make a concerted effort to get out, you know, connect with people as much as possible, which is why, you know, I do events when I can so that these people can realize that they're not alone. Right. And there's a safe space for them to come out and talk to other people about, you know, the obstacles and the opportunities that are unique to them as entrepreneurs. All right. Well, Miss Renee, thank you so, so, so much for sharing uh, your, you. your journey with me. Um, I can't thank you enough for sharing so many, sharing your story and also while sharing your story, dropping so many gems, you know? And I think <laughs> I think my listeners going to really, really love, you know, hearing your journey in terms of how you become the, the amazing dynamic woman that you are, female entrepreneurial woman that you are today. So thank you so much for uh, uh for being on here with with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. And before I go, I do want to invite all of your listeners to follow the film on Instagram and Facebook. Um, on Instagram, it's She Did That Film. And also on Facebook, it's She Did That Film. And then you can also follow my personal page. I share, you know, some... Um, you know, just snapshots of my life as an entrepreneur and, you know, life in Brooklyn and as I travel for the film and my personal page is I am Renee Blewett. Well, I follow you on Instagram and it's definitely, your page is definitely inspirational. So I would definitely recommend everyone follow uh, I am Renee Blewett on Instagram and, you know, yes. she, you know, it's authentic too. That's what I love about it. It's who you are. You know, so thank you. All right, girl. Thanks again, and uh, thanks for uh, being on here. I don't, I don't know what else to say, but I'm so humbled. <laughs> thank you, Kelsey. I can't wait to hear it. All right, girl. Take care. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye.